Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 101, Juan Pablo Cuca and the TCS Training Academy. So TCS stands for Train, Conquer, and Succeed. And my guest, Juan Pablo, he started his own training academy. And the entire goal was to be able to really go after the little things that he pretty much couldn't do in team training or in a club setting as a coach. And what I find so fascinating about him is just his overall understanding of the importance of character building, the importance of motivation, the importance of building relationships with players. I just think he's got such an awesome way of looking at the game. We're definitely kindred spirits in some of these ways. So enjoy the conversation we have. It was a ton of fun. I'm really excited because I looked at your videos um, and I thought they were really fun. I, I, I loved your, uh, just sure. your demeanor with the kids and everything and the way you use your space. So uh, Juan Pablo, you're from uh, Illinois. Is that right? Is that where you're Every side, right I now? leave. That's so where you I live, live yeah. here. Yeah, but I actually, I was born and raised in Colombia, South America. Um, where, where in Colombia? Uh, Medellin. I uh, was in Medellin for about two weeks uh, in uh, the beginning of 2016. Yeah, I was traveling in Latin oh, America yeah. and I met my mom. My mom and I met up. She, I'd been on the road for two months and then she and I met in Cartagena. Uh-huh, yeah. And then we went to the Lost City uh, in the Tejuna Park outside of Santa Marta. And then we went down to Medellin and spent a week there. And then and then I spent What did you think of Medellin? I mean, I loved Colombia, every single thing about Colombia. But Medellin was it's yeah, it's a very unique city. Um, It's really cool. I I love the way it's it's just in a valley. Right. Right. You look around. Yeah. And. And it's 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 cool, too, because it doesn't take very long. It feels like you're in a really fast paced city and it doesn't take long to almost go to where it's quieter and, and more calm. Right. 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 Um, I, I love the use of gondolas and escalators to get to different neighborhoods. I think that's yes. so it's so interesting. Yeah, that was actually you know, fairly new, not, not necessarily recent, but, you know, for many, many years, it used to be like you had to actually. If you, if you want to go to like the like the really higher neighborhoods, um, you have to either do it by foot or, you know, there's sometimes like a bus that might take you there. But oftentimes, you know, to go all the way up there, um, it's, it's not, it wasn't really accessible. So, you know, maybe about, I could be mistaken, but maybe about 15 years ago, they started doing this where now they're putting these little carriers take you up there and it actually made improve so much of the city because then there's a lot of tourism going to these places to these barrios or neighborhoods that it used to be like a hot places where you didn't want to be involved in you know back in the 80s and the 90s now people are going there for tourism and the people that live in, in, in these places they're taking pride of being able to like open their doors to people joining them and and then you know like i went to there is a tour and, and Comuna Trece, right? There is like this neighborhood that used yeah. to be really bad back in the 80s and the 90s. <clears throat> and um, nowadays, you know, it's like a very big touristy place. A lot of um, graffitis on the wall. Uh, people walking around freely, right? People feel safe. People feel good. And then the, the people that live there, they they embrace these uh, newcomers coming into their, their territory and 
open arms, smiles, and, and they actually improve their economy in a way because a lot of these places are doing their little home little like pop and mom shops in the in the places where people are are, are being you know visiting and touristing. So it's pretty great to see that development. Well, the other thing too is for the for those people, it makes com- just the commute for anything easier. You can go to work easier. And I, I remember one one person was like, "Man, what this has done for little old ladies who go grocery shopping, like right. to just be able to get somewhere down the hill and then back up the hill because he's a long road." Easier. Yeah, and 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 the roads they 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 go all over the place. It's it's right. not. It's not like you narrow and narrow. Exactly. And there's cars moving by and motors moving by. So I I, also, the other thing about Medellin that was impressive was the Metro. I mean, that, that is really, it's so cool because it just goes right through the whole city. You can just just get from one neighborhood to the next really easily. And, 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 you know, I love it. There's Wi-Fi on, on the Metro free Wi-Fi. I was like, this is incredible. And I really liked a lot is that people from Medellin, we take a lot of pride in the metro. So most of the times, we we all been in cities that have subways and metros all over the place, Europe and United States or any other countries. But a lot of times, uh, the high traffic from the public means that perhaps it could be a lot of trash, it could be a lot of you know things like dirty or writings or anything like that. But people in Medellin, they, they take very good pride of feeling the metro themselves, being like, this is an image that I want to portray to the world. So they take really good care of it. Like every time you go in, it's pretty clean. It's neat. Uh, it's everything immaculate. is very well organized. Exactly. Because people actually, it's not like somebody, they don't have, sure, they, they do, but it's not like they have somebody picking up after them, right? It's also them going like, I'm not going to leave that bottle there. I'm not going to throw that trash there. I'm not going to, you know, like damage it by doing this. And this. So that's, that's awesome. Or, because or piss in a corner. Like, if you go to if you go to Paris, man, that that subway in Paris sometimes, wow, you're like someone peed right here. I know it. I can smell it. It's like you will not fight. No, Medellin. It's it's like every single stop. It's just it's perfect, very clean, and like you said, that there's a pride taken because I, I also went to there's a museum. I forget the name of it. It's at the top of a hill, and they have a whole sort of. Uh, exhibit on the building of the metro and all the photos yes. and everything and it, it, you can see how big of a deal it was when it was started yeah. and then and and like you said the pride it gave to the city going right. forward is it was really cool i did also get to see uh independiente de medellin oh you did i got to see them play in their in their stadium against I think it was Juniors de Barranquilla. Barranquilla, yes. Yeah. And uh, I was, I loved it. It was so much fun. And and the intensity from the fans was great. The other thing, I'd never heard a song or a chant in a stadium that involved whistles. So they would okay. sing something and then they'd whistle sharply like three times in a row. And it was this, I was like, I've never heard this from like yeah, yeah. thousands of people before. It was that was that was great. It was a fun fun atmosphere to be in because they're the they're the people's club in Medellin. Because then there's um, Atlético Nacional, Atlético Nacional, who what Reyes de Copas, right? Is that that I saw that? Yeah, that's my that's my team. That's, that's your team. team. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to see them play, but I heard I heard their games are next level in terms of energy and 
Yes. Yeah. I think in Colombia in general, it's like one of the biggest city in terms of passion for, for the sport, for soccer. So the atmosphere every time in Medellin or in Colombia in general, it's pretty intense. Like oh, yeah. Chanting, yeah. Jumping, and it's, it's great. It's awesome. I actually have a, uh, it's not behind me, is it? No, I, I have um, a Deportivo Cali jersey that I bought when I was in Cali. I was like, I have to get a jersey in Colombia. I also have the Colombian uh, national team, but a short sleeve. It's like a training jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the gold one. So, yeah, no, Colombia was, it was my favorite place. Uh, uh, I went from Costa Rica to Chile and stayed on the coast. So, nice. you know, and uh, so Costa Rica, Panama, Ecuador, Peru, Chile. But Colombia was my favorite. It was, yeah, really special. The, the people, that was the, the biggest the biggest difference from Colombia to everywhere else was interactions with the people. They're just That's amazing. Good That's good to hear. Amazing. Well, I mean, you know, Colombians are super proud. And I think one thing that you learn by being there for, you know, cause I was there for a month and a half. What you learn is that the people are like, they don't, they want so badly for the reputation that was built in the eighties yeah. and nineties to like yeah, be yeah. gone. And so, you you know, people would tell me, look, if you're having a problem in the street, let's say someone's trying to rob you or something, just make a scene and everyone else will help you right. because nobody wants you to go home and say, I got robbed in Colombia. Exactly. Right. They're like, no, you'd say something and we will go to bat for you. I was like, this right. is this is great. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. They're fighting that. They're firing that. Uh, like, I don't know if prejudices or whatever, you know, ideas from you know, the 80s and the 90s. But of course, people are, you know, that's what we try to do in Medellin consistently, to try to like portray a positive environment, a positive image, let behind those, you know, hardship and, and hard times and, and difficult times, and then welcome more of the, what Colombia and Medellin is nowadays. It's a safe, welcoming, warm place for everybody to be part of. 100%. That's, that, that's exactly how I felt. And then the street food, yeah, I had a lot of I I, I I put on a few pounds in Colombia, you know, so you, get, you get two empanadas and an aguila and you're just walking around the street like this is paradise. This is paradise. I believe it. I'm the same. Every time I go, I come back like old chunk. <laughs> yep. Fried food, fried food on the street for everybody. So when you when did you come to the U.S. then? Uh, you know, it had to be. By now, about 16, 17 years. Okay. I was, uh, you know, I came in of, uh, when I was about 15 or 16 years old at that time. Uh, so it's about 16 years has passed by since I'm here. So, uh, you know, I've been, I've been in this area, in Chicago area, you know, Liberty Real, uh, Gurney, Vernon Hills type of area since I arrived. Uh, and, you know, I've been been coaching here for a while like for the past 12 years or so i've been coaching in this area now open up tcs uh, training academy which is my own little academy that i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to help athletes especially soccer soccer players i'm trying to help them with a player-centric uh, format or curriculum per se mm -hmm. so you know I, I did coach for clubs for many clubs around this area for a while, but what I notice is sometimes because you have so many players in a team and then you have to worry about the game coming up and the positionings, and sometimes it, a lot of politics involved because then 
you know, it comes down to like, why is my kid not playing so much? Perhaps the kid, you know, at the, at the point of, of the game, perhaps the player might not, you know, give so much input that they deserve a 70 minute game, you know, compared to others or so on. So, but then, but then since they pay, they're paying customers, it, it becomes, it becomes like a really thin line of like, what's right as a coach, can I help this player develop? Can I give him some playing time at the same time? But is it also fair to take some playing time from other players that are definitely earning it and deserving it more? So, but because it's the club, it's like a private club and so on, then you have to, you know, you have to make sure that they still uh, play and so on. So I try to, I, I try to focus more on the development part of it. I, I did always enjoy the training of the players, the development. So TCS, um, is, is that I'm, I'm helping the players from their physical perspective, their agility, their speed, uh, their awareness. We are not really working much as a position base or competition base because we don't compete. It's just, you know, think of it as athletes coming in to train and improve themselves. Like if you would, if you, if you would go to a gym and, it, you know, you put your own input and so on. So we do that with a, a player-centric curriculum. Yeah, and from your videos, I would definitely recommend anyone check them out. It's, uh, you know, TCS Training Academy, Train, Conquer, Succeed. I love that. Train, Conquer, Succeed. Yeah. Right. And I, I, so just one of one video that I really liked uh, that I saw, you have this big, really colorful ball. Um, oh, yeah. And it yeah. was the one where the girl, the girls, she's, she has to sort of, sort of jump from one cone to the next of her choosing, which I love that you, you let her choose where to go um, right. instead of saying, go from A to B to C, you know, right. letting her kind of explore the space and she's right. got to land on one, you know, land on one leg and balance yeah. and be in the right position. And then you let her go a bit and then you start coming up and offering some resistance with the ball, a little right. bit of pushing. Can you balance? Right. And I think it's great because the cool thing about it, she's laughing which is awesome because it, it she's clearly enjoying she's enjoying it. And I've always said, if players are laughing and they can still find a way to concentrate and tune back in, that's a really, really important uh, cognitive skill because when you laugh, you kind of lose all control, right? It's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like if you really have to pee like really bad, your brain starts to just, like you can't make good decisions anymore, right? So the, if, if kids are laughing while they're training and they're able to sort of, oh, that was funny. And then, but, and I'm almost laughing, but I'm still focused on my balance. I'm still focused on doing this right. Right. Then they're going to get even better at it than if they're just seriously focused, no, no smiling, I, I feel like they get a lot more out of it when they're true. What I, what I what I feel like it is like you're learning and you're improving without actually being aware of it, right? Like you're doing something where you think it's oh, this is fun. But quite frankly, there's a lot of technical work behind it. A lot of a lot of uh, concepts that you're working on the core, the balance, the coordination, the strength, uh, the awareness. You know, so many concepts that you're working on a simple activity, but to the player you presented it not as the scientific method of you know 30 hour 30 minute session on, on the board and let me explain and break it down more of like let's get to work let's do it let's have some fun and let's get you to be better so that's what we try to do at tcs or an academy it's try to provide players those little activities 
to work on those basic skills, to work on those um, agility movements, speed, strength, all these. But, you know, when we come to train, I'm cranking up the music, right? Like, like, I, bought, like I bought this big speaker uh, for the training sessions and, and we blast it because I want the athletes and the players to, just like you were saying, enjoy themselves, have fun, enjoy, laugh. You know, this isn't a club training where uh, sometimes the clubs got a lot of pressure to compete, right? Sometimes you go into like, hey, we're going to state championship. Hey, we're going to participate at the finals at this tournament. These, So interestingly enough, a lot of times these players from a younger age, they're carrying a lot of weight on their shoulders. They're, they're athletes, they're students. Uh, they might be in elementary, middle school, or even high school. But in the back of their head, they still have this pressure from families, coaches, peers of like, hey, we got to compete. So what I'm trying to do is trying to give them a little bit of break in that regards. Like, hey, you do your club. You still do your thing. I'm, you know, you're not coming from the club to me and that's it because club is where you compete, where you have your games, where you have your team management and so on. But here's where you come as an athlete to improve yourself because a coach in a club, as you probably would know this, right? Because you coach those players, you cannot spend one full hour, a full hour and a half of just uh, technical training. Like you have to cover so many bases. You have to do the warm up, the small activities, the expanded activities, the game, the coaching points, you know, all these things that, that go down in a training session. But here, what we do is get away from that and actually train you as an athlete without the regards of, hey, we're competing this weekend or. Is actually, hey, let me help you be stronger, faster, more reactive, you know, have fun, enjoy, loosen up. So, you know, my players that currently are, are part of the TCS training programs are loving it. They're enjoying themselves. They really, they really connect. They really engage. Um, and I'm also enjoying it. This is, you know, I'm trying this out for the first time. It's not something that, that I've been doing for long in terms of TCS. I do have, as I said, 10, 12 years of experience coaching-wise. This is the first time that I'm actually trying to do these on my own. And, and quite frankly, I'm enjoying it. So that's all that matters to me as well. I'm like helping the players and enjoying it. So we both walk out of those training sessions. I'm happy. I'm feeling successful because I'm helping others. I'm, I'm helping them get better. Uh, and, and, and the players are walking out of there sweating, but smiling in a good mood. It's, it's, it's been awesome. It's been great. And what, so you said you haven't been doing TCS long. When did you start it? When did you launch TCS Training Academy? Earlier this year. Okay. Earlier so what? January, middle of January. So fair, yeah, like middle of January. And you, you were, I guess the inspiration behind it and the decision, okay, I'm doing this. Did you sort of mentioned that in the club environment, you know, there's different politics, there's different things, there's requirements that you have to do. Like you said, there's, you know, kids pay, so you, you know, they have to play, which right. is, which is only fair. I mean, I, I my players get pretty even playing time. I, 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 you know, even if you just scored a goal, if it's time, it's time. And I don't love that, but I have to look after everybody. Right. right. And so you, I'm assuming you kind of saw this and you're like, yeah, but there's, something more that I can do, right? So is that kind of what the inspiration was or something else or what drove no. you to be like, I'm starting this? What I felt is that you get amazed, you get, you get kind of like loose, you kind of get lost in the politics and, and, and handling business from like the 
club perspective where there's so many rules and so many things happening, mm-hmm. sometimes the clubs, you know, like they can pack up to 18, 19 players in a roster per se out of like a, a team that plays maybe 99. That's, that's at least from my perspective, it happens sometimes, right? So it puts the coach in a really tight spot because now, you know, the parents sometimes they wonder like, why is my kid not playing as much? But technically, there's very little playing time for everyone. Yep. And then when you look at it, the next, the next part of it is also, do I give more to the ones that are working really hard by merit and like deserve it over the ones that are still developing? Or do we go even? And then, so either way you go, you're always going to make somebody mad. You're always going to let somebody down. So... I was trying to was focus on what I enjoy about coaching. What I enjoy about coaching is the development of players, the, the, the helping them improve. So, you know, as, as I train the players in the club and I work privately with players throughout these years, it just, it just got to me where, where I go like, okay, so you know what? Let me, let me do what I enjoy more out of the coaching, which is the development part of the game, which is let me help you get better uh, compared to us, like, let me manage the timings and these and these and these and these because, you know, I, I wasn't really um, interested in that part. And so I went with what I thought I could help the most with. And that's when I came with the idea, like, let me just do my own trainings. Let me just, you know, run my own sessions of trainings with, a, with the player in mind. And that's what TCS came about. Yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with the, with all that. I think what you just said, it's funny. I was having a conversation with one of my friends and fellow coaches, uh, like 20 minutes before I got on the call and I was, I told him, I was like, look, man, I, because he, he runs a high school program and, you know, we've talked about how, you know, what I would do if, if the job opened up or if something, and we kind of came to the conclusion, at least I have, where it's like, you know, I've talked to so many friends of mine who were coaching, they were coaching two or three teams or four teams, whatever, they loved it. And then they were given some kind of like more managerial director type job. And within two years, they needed a break from all of it. They needed a break from coaching. They needed a break from the game. And I was like, I don't want that to happen to me. Like I, I get so much energy from being on the fields. If I'm not feeling well, if I'm tired, you know, whatever, I go to training and feel like a million bucks in about 20 minutes because the players, the energy that I get from them is huge, but I don't know if I would get this. I mean, it would probably be ruined if I was doing a hundred emails a day and 20 phone calls uh, just, just to make people happy or to just keep up. Um, And then you lose what you actually want to do at that point. So I I think we're in the same. Yeah. And it's it, kind of like that. You don't want to, you don't want to lose the interest or the desire or the joy of doing something that you really enjoy for the, for the little description of the work of like, Hey, emails and making these and these and these, like I honestly enjoy the training sessions. Just like you mentioned, I, I honestly enjoy that part. Like, as you know, we're talking about the training with, with the player and the, and the big thing. Uh, yeah. That, right. Like, I could easily spend, so that training, that was one of the activities we did among other ones, of course, but during the whole, you know, hour that we trained together, music was blasting, we were doing this big ball, we were doing these other activities, 
So at the end, you know, she was like, oh, man, I'm tired, but I feel good. And I also was like, that's good work, but I feel good. So to me, that's a successful day where I one that I can be like, I made a difference, positive difference in the life of an athlete or a person in general. And, and secondly, you know, I can go home and feel like, hey, I helped. I did what I lo- what I enjoyed. And, and, and that's how I'm giving back. At least from my perspective, that's how I want to give back, helping these players directly over the whole you know, politics and the, the administrative part of it. And, and, and you, can, you can get lost into that and take the joy out both for the players and, and the coach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and Juan Pablo, to me, it sounds like you are an educator at heart. Like you are someone who wants to teach. Oh. Like that's a, that sounds like, because look, everything you're saying, I'm like, I'm the same. I, and I, it's so much fun to just use your creativity to come up with, how do I make this activity just that little bit better? How, right, how, right, how can this right. be that little bit more fun and still just as impactful just as just as valuable and that you know that creativity it's like it's like a muscle you know if you continuously work at how can i find the best ways then you're going to find better ways and you're going to you're going to work at you know problem solving all the time and then you're going to come up with good stuff um you lose that if you try and make everything really regimented Right. And if you, I agree. I agree. you, if you run sessions based on like the USSF model of, uh, you know, the four stages. And I mean, when I've done those, I just, I think the players are bored. I'm like, yeah, this, this isn't working. Right. Yeah. No, so it's, it's like finding what the little things are and you get that creativity by working in either individual trainings or in small groups. Do you do small right. groups as well? Yes. So what our trainings are, are made up of is smaller groups in a general setting. So uh, we usually have about currently 10 registered, 8 to 10, or 10 play, registered players that are showing up every week to train in smaller groups. On top of that, we also do the individual the, the training with one-on-one setup as well. I enjoy both. And, and like you mentioned, too, it's like the activities. You can be, as long as you are creative and as long as you you bring the knowledge, you can make activities work. So, you know, when we do the one-on-one training sessions, there are some activities that work really well for that one-on-one session. But when we go with the smaller groups, perhaps we, we, we make a little bit of adjustments to the activities uh, so that it works in a smaller group setup. So I, I, think, I think creativity, as you were mentioning, I think is, is huge. Being able to see something plain and creating something out of it that you still can you know, work it and still make it, you know, coaching points and still help players. That to me is more important. And what I always felt as a coach, the most important thing, and it's very underrated that I that I feel where you know when I when I talk to coaches in general, I think to me the biggest and the most important thing you can have as a coach is the the, the, the ability. To motivate players, right? Like if you're motivating players, if you're able to capture somebody's attention and motivate them to be better and do something, you know, better for themselves, I think that's gold. Regardless of the activity, regardless of your knowledge, I think if you can motivate somebody to run faster, they're gonna run faster. And you know, they might be like, "I'm just running," but at the same time, it's like, "But you know what? I'm running at a faster pace." If perhaps we're we're having to do physical trainings or fitness, uh, you know, stuff, you know, they can get a few more reps in and so on. So 
to me, the motivation part from a coach perspective is huge. And it goes along with the creativity. So uh, I think those two are the components that we try to bring to TCS as much as possible. And so far, man, the results have been great. The players have enjoyed it. The families um, are giving us very positive feedback. And uh, you know what? I, it's too early to say, but I don't, you know, I don't want to look back. You know what I mean? I'm trying these. We're going, we're, you're do, we're doing really well. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that I can still continue to push this forward as much as possible because I enjoy it. And I'm hoping that, you know, with time, it gets better and better and better. More players, more players, more players, because that's the goal. The growth, help as many players as possible and, and enjoy it. Well, you, you, from my perspective, you definitely have the right mentality for it. You, you know, you're, it's be, making it player centric where you're like, I'm focusing on the individual, really focusing on the individual, being creative. And also, you know, what I, one thing I like about your videos is it's, you're not bringing out the circus is one of the things that we like to say is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not all of the the toys and like a mannequin and all these things that you like spending like $3,000 on equipment to make it look like you're super professional, right? Instead, it's about, it's about the actual work you're doing. And what you just said, if you can motivate, then that's the gold. And motivation, you can't just get it by bringing the toys out. You know, yeah, completely agree. It's 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 completely comes from the coach. And because I've watched some training sessions, um, individual ones where a coach will bring out the rebounder, they've got the the belt with the resistance cord. <laughs> You know, they've got the thing that you put on the goal, the skills thing that has it's only the holes in the corners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they come out there and they set it up. It takes them like an hour to set up all the equipment. And then the session is just like, yeah, okay. A lot of repetition, but it just doesn't look exciting at all, right? Sure. And when you're working one-on-one, that's it's huge to be able to like get into the mind of a player and get them into it and not just right. doing what you say until it's time to go home. Right. So and punching and punching up. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You, you, the last thing you want when you do that, especially when you do individual sessions, it, I, I don't, and I don't love doing one-on-one sessions because to me, it's always like, look, you can do anything one-on-one by yourself, but I, I like doing groups of three to six because then you can make them, you know, just do decisions. They actually, sure, there's, sure. there's an opponent, there's a decision. As long as those two things are there, we're going in the right direction. And, but also doing the physical training. And like I, like I mentioned earlier with the exercise that you did with that girl with the ball and just, sure. you know, she was totally into it. And that, that comes from a coach. It's not just, you know, writing down, here's what we're going to do. And I'm going to stand here. It's like, like you said, you, you bring music into it. Right. Music's, music's an amazing one. Uh, when at my club a few years ago, we had one director that didn't like the idea of having a speaker during warm-up at games. He didn't like it. He thought it looked unprofessional. He thought it looked tacky. He didn't like if there was music with you know foul language, whatever, as he said. And you know, over the last year and a half, I've had a team that they really wanted to play music at warmup. And when they didn't, they played worse. When they had the music at warmup, they started, they started games better. 
duh. Because I mean, they're motivated, right? They're they're engaged, they're hyped. Exactly. And then you look at the professionals, these guys are wearing these people are they're either bumping music in the locker room right before they go out, or they've got headphones on the whole time. So to look more professional we tell the kids that they can't have music. It's just bizarre, right? Right, right, right. I agree. agree. So for you, you feel this should be the player. What works for the player, not for the coach. What works for the player. And so how do you, do you, do you let them choose the music? Do you let them come in and be like, I'm going to play this while we work out or are you choosing the music? So, so what I do is I have a little playlist, but yes, I approach players and ask them, Hey, you know, if there's any music that you're interested in joining, I do. I do ask that it's clean. I, you know that part. I do. I do want it like clean, not not necessarily genre-wise. It can be any genre out yeah. there. I don't. I don't really care for. But you know, I'm hoping that because sometimes you know which you're training with younger players, so you know you don't want those lyrics that all of a sudden come up. And like, but at the end of the day, I'm okay with players giving me. Um, you know, I, I type it in right there on Spotify. Boom, 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 and then just add it to the list. So it keeps growing and growing and growing. Because what I'm looking for is if this song, if these artists is going to help you get pumped, it's going to help you enjoy yourself, I'm fine with it. So, we, we, you know, sometimes they give me lyrics or, or a song and I look for like the radio edit of that one. You know, not the explicit one, but perhaps the radio edit. And I, I, and I put it there because I'm trying to, you know, with the younger ones, trying to make sure that, you know, they don't come to the training and go like, oh yeah, and you know, today at training, they put this music and they were saying like all these wop 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 so, <laughs> <laughs> so but but i'm all i'm all open i'm all open for for artists and songs from the plays um because again it's for them it's for them for their own purpose for their own enjoyment for their own motivation yeah the u15 girls team that i went to phoenix with um the warm-up music consisted of little baby roddy rich and drake so, so <laughs> there was lots of profanity. I mean, it was, I was I like, oh, these lyrics, you know, I was like, you know what? The parents know that these girls listen to this at this point. I'm it's just true. not going to care. It's not my, it's not my problem at this point. <laughs> That's, that I agree. That I agree. Yeah. It's, but, but no, but it, it, it's an important thing. It's part of recognizing that the players, like you can either get out of the way sometimes and it's, the best thing to help give them motivation sometimes sometimes it's the less you do the more likely they're going to be motivated and it's about doing the small right things yeah it's it's and that's why i always like to say it's it's an art coaching is it's a craft it's an art it's not just you know doing these very specific tasks and with the very specific detail of what you say, right? It's, it's more complicated than that. It's more human it than that. It, it, is. it is. So what you're doing is something that I also sort of, I have my own dreams about. I, one of the things that I decided I wanted to do when I was about a teenager, I was about 16. I went to Tahuichi Academy, Academia Tahuichi in Bolivia. Okay, um, no, 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 I don't think I'm familiar with Yeah, you should look it up. It's um, an academy in Santa Cruz that was started by a guy who basically wanted to provide a a school where the kids could just not be in the streets because street life is really, really dangerous. So he wanted to create a place where kids could come and play. Um, Guys like Marco Echeverri, Jaime Moreno, 
some of the best Bolivian players actually came through Bolivian, these academies. Yes. Yeah. And they opened their doors up to foreign kids. So when I was in high school, uh, my sister found this program and she was like, hey, we need to go because she was a division one player and she wanted to get fit and play with high level players. And so she found this and she was like, we're going. Okay. And so we went and it was an incredible experience. And at the end of it, I was like, this is such a cool thing to do for young people, like to create this place where there's a special atmosphere, a special culture and environment that helps players from everywhere. You know, you're not, it's not just one club. It's like, you know, you're helping people, anyone who wants to come, you right. want to help them. And so I always thought, man, starting a, an academy sort of with my own vision would be really fun. And I think it's great that you've done this. Um, what's been the most difficult part about getting it off the ground? Uh, a lot of challenges, generally speaking. Um, but I think the, I think the coaching part, I can, I can do really well. So once we're training, excellent. But there's a lot that goes behind the curtains per se that course people are not aware right so it's a lot of sending emails to invite it's a lot of um you know i put a lot of effort um, and spend a lot of time on these images and videos to to show right like i want people to be able to to be like hey what is tcs and I'm like let's go check them out and like see what we do so perhaps if somebody's on the fence about it they can perhaps see that what we are all about and go like hey we like to do this. So it's a lot of emailing. It's a lot of following up. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, you know, finding ways to expand and, and reach more people. Uh, but I also, I'm aware that since we're starting, that's the way it has to be, right? I'm doing the, I'm doing the lead work right now. And I believe that once you do something, you know, especially we as coaches, when, when you work really well, the only thing that you have to show for yourself is the players. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you talk about how many coach, how many players you coach, or how many titles you won, or how many cups you lifted with your teams. At the end of the day, the best, the best uh, word of mouth that you got is your own players. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm going, you know, one day at a time. We're training. They enjoy themselves. The families are liking it. The players are enjoying themselves. They're liking it. They're improving. They're getting better. So. I'm hoping that as we progress and as we continue to grow, these players continue to spread the word to their teammates, to their friends, the neighbors, and so on and so on and so on. So it's a lot of work that goes behind it. But when you start to see it come together, yeah, that's you know, it's 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 a great feeling when you when you go like I had this little idea and I, I everything I had to start it from the ground per se, like the logo, like I I, I created the logo, right? So it's like working the shapes and working the wording and, you know, all these things. And so everything that TCS currently has, it has, it was a lot of time and effort behind it. And, and just now we're starting to see the whole like paying off because we're finally getting players to, you know, train with us. And, and, and this next week we're starting our academy, academy two, right. Starting. So the first academy ended. Um, yesterday, so now we're tomorrow. Uh, next week, we're starting the, the second session of that academy again. And again, we're getting players signed up again. We're getting, you know, we're keeping some of the players from the first session to come back. So it's very rewarding when you see that all the work, all those days that you've been spending emailing and creating these and creating that and training 
and, and making sure that the players feel safe. That's very important, very huge, you know, create that safe environment for players to be, you know, come in and be like, like I'm in a safe place. I'm going to come here and work hard and enjoy myself and train, but I'm in a safe place. So when all that is, is, is it's happening, hopefully little by little, we start to reap the rewards down the road. But it is, it is, it is a lot of work. And I'm sure you know this, given that you have um, your, your podcast and everything. You know, people don't know this, but there's a lot of stuff that goes behind it. When you edit it, you record it, you cut the pieces, you put it together. People just see the final result behind it, man, it's a lot of work. I, that, and that's exactly what I was thinking about while you were saying that. I was like, yeah, I mean, I know exactly how you feel. And then you start to learn, oh, wow, like, what did I just do? Okay. Uh, you are now a graphic designer. You can say that because you created this logo, right? You are, um, you know, uh, an expert in marketing because you had to come up with, you know, a name you had to come up with. I mean, look, look the, the background right now that you've got, right? So something you've created yourself. So there's, yes. there's using that creativity, which is something you clearly have as a talent, but also, all the other things, you know, learning video, you know, how to do video editing, right? Um, right, right, exactly. And, yeah. and using using whatever tools you use, um, you know, deciding on the placement of a camera, right? This is videography. Right. So if we started listing the things that just by starting TCS, there's like 10 new skills that you have had to either learn or employ that you already knew before. Sure, and so by starting TCS, you sort of become your own Renaissance man in a way, you know, you've got all the, you're building up all these, this, all these diverse skills. And Pretty much. And, but it's all what, that's what he takes. And, and I wouldn't do it any other way, to be honest, man. It feels good. It feels good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a lot of work. You asked me what was the most difficult thing. And it's just, I don't think there's pinpoint one specific thing. Quite frankly, it's just, a lot of work, a lot, a lot, a lot, right? Engagement in social media is not easy, right? It's not just no, it's post not something easy. and like forget it. Like you have to continuously find somehow, some way to engage and, and get people to like, hey, be interested in what you're offering and what you're doing these. And you said it like the camera angles and all that. I'll show you uh, when we're done here, I'll show you a little picture. You wouldn't believe the, the setup that I have right now to be able to kind of like make this uh, little setup. So I'll send you a picture. Uh, after that, to your uh, to your messages, to your DMs. Yeah, but, I do. Uh, as, as, of, as of right now, I'm standing on a, I'm sitting on a, on a spinning bicycle. Um, <laughs> my computer, and <laughs> my computer is just like in the handles. I'll show you the picture. But I, I was setting it up on my desk and, you know, the lighting wasn't there. And I didn't want this, you know, to, to be our first encounter here, you know, talking. You have to make sure that it looks good that people are interested to see it so i'm like how do i get more lining and you know better and so on so i'm sure you know, should be, you enjoyed the picture but it's quite an interesting setup that i got here um but it, well, the that's setup, all the stuff that goes behind and people might not even be at work no i mean the setup is huge like like the room that i'm in is just one of the rooms in my house it's a it was, yeah. it was a room that one of my old roommates used to live in and i actually this is kind of funny um he had one of my other roommates had two cats and they basically used this room as a bathroom for like a, like six months. We didn't, we didn't really notice. 
And then I I started to come in here and be like, there's this weird smell of cat <laughs> urine that's always here. And then I pulled up the carpet and it was like decimated. I mean, I had to throw all of the carpet. I pulled all the carpet and all the padding out. So when I decided I'm going to use this room to do, you know, this podcast, the first day I sat down and started like talking into a microphone, everything was echoing around me because the sound was just bouncing off of everything. Sure. So instead of carpeting the room, I just started finding rugs. I went to Goodwill and bought like 10 or 15 like cheap random rugs. And so now the floor of this room is like a collage of all kinds of different rugs, right? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I did get some carpet from my mom's house, which I put on the wall behind me here. And then I had to put, you know, once you put the jerseys up and the flags, now it starts to insulate more of the sound, right? Sure. But all of this, is, you know, it's, it's just a process of figuring those things out and a space to work in. I think, it, I think you're right. There needs to be a certain level of care with it. I, 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 not to criticize anyone who does their own podcasts and things, but one of the things that blows me away is how rarely people look at the screen and think about what the video looks like. Like sure. I've had some yeah. people sit on a call and they're in front of a window with the sun behind them. It's just a silhouette. You can't see ah, it. Yeah. And then there's people who, and a you know, French, and a French fry in the shoulder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like hanging out on the couch. There's nothing on the walls behind them. And you're kind of like, I mean, you know, I, I, you don't need to do wild things, but like take maybe a little bit of pride in the look of it. I think, I mean, you know, that's just my opinion. No, so no, then it makes a big difference, man, because the impression when you're seeing something like for your viewers, right? Your viewers are probably are used to seeing the background with the shirts and all that. And quite frankly, it's if I if when the first moment I, I found your, your profile, I knew what it was about immediately, of course, the description on it said, but when I look at the background and what you got going on behind you, it's clearly to see that this guy means like soccer, football, right? Like these guys, this is not uh, one of those basketball plays. It's not one of those, like, let's Dr. Phil in the morning or anything like that. This guy is, like, <laughs> soccer-related, football-related. You can see the soccer balls, the trophies, the pictures. And it, that's what he creates. He creates the idea and the image behind and the people's minds of, like, if I want to listen to soccer talk or, you know, football talk, I'm going to go to this guy. And then there's some people that sometimes miss that mark, that the impression that they, that they generate makes a big difference. Well, and, you know, setting setting is key, um, whether you're doing like a podcast or like you're doing a training session, th there is something really important about the setting. And for me, I notice that when I sit in here and I put the headphones on and I sit in front of a microphone, like I'm in my studio. And so now there's right. a different mentality for how to be creative right. and how to work. You know, sometimes I'll sit in your, here in your zone, right? Yeah. Sometimes I'll sit in here to write out what I'm going to say or, you know, what I'm going to do an episode about instead of just doing it, you know, wherever else in my house. Yeah. And it's because this is the lab. Like this is where I'm more in my, in my zone. So for you, you're, you're doing your trainings. I think what's really cool is like the locations I've seen your videos, obviously some are in a gym, you know, but then there's right. some just in what looks like a basement. It is right? a basement. It is a basement. And so then you have to create that space to have a feeling, right? To have yeah. it, 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 the space has to feel like something for the players and for you. Right. So to talk about how you sort of 
sort of thought out your space for doing the individual trainings in that basement? Uh, these, so the basement is a, you know, the player's house basement. Um, currently in Chicago, uh, we are experiencing a lot of starting to, to melt away, but for these past few months, it's been a lot of snow on the ground, very cold temperatures. So, you know, we usually train outdoors, but because of the winter, we look for a space indoors. So with this specific player with the pink fuzzy ball, um, you know, this is, this is their family's house. They asked me to come in uh, during the winter times. Um, so the first thing we did is assess it, right? I, I said, okay, you know, let's give it a try. Let's see how it works. So I, I, visit, I visit the house, you know, they show me the basement. And quite frankly, excellent. This is a really nice place that these families got in. And they're pretty neat people. So it was very easy to spot that there was a good, you know, opening in spaces. And then what we just simply did is start to like remove some of the space in a way. So once I kind of see that the sofa was to the corner and this and this, he opened up a lot of space in the middle. So with that, I went back home and started, you know, being able to jot down like, what can we work on that space? So although it still is a nice space for being an indoor place, it's still limited compared to what you can do outside. So it was the whole, what can I improve? What can I help with to this player? How can I help her um, indoor while still getting the most out of it? Because, you know, you, we couldn't come in there and then do shooting. And then all of a sudden the TV, boom, goes down. The cat goes out the window. So it has to be, so you have to adjust. You have to adjust what the, what the environment is. So I came, I came down to start putting down notes on the plan of, what can I do in the next few weeks that is going to help this player in this as, you know, compromise or smaller space per se. So we've been doing a lot of um, technical touches on the ball. Um, we've been doing a lot of uh, fitness sessions per se. Um, we're, we're steering away a little bit from like the shooting, from like the crossing, of course, from all these things that might need a space. But, you know, I bring ladders, I bring cones, and a lot of agility, a lot of strength, and it's working really great. And, and quite frankly, these uh, specific player is, is, you know, for her is very, very easy, very convenient because she's in the comfort of her house, right? And yeah, so the family's there when we're training. Uh, sometimes they come to the basement and, and hang out with us as we're training. So, quite frankly, I enjoy working with her a lot. Um, she's doing really well. She's doing a really good job in improving and the family, you know, it's, it's a great family. They support her a lot. They want the best for her. Uh, so when it comes down to one-on-one -on -one training sessions during the winter, we look for those spaces like that. But when we, when the weather allows it, we go outdoor. And currently I'm also renting a space at, the, at a big sport complex, like a big indoor sport complex. That's what we, that's what we do. The, the 10 group of players coming in at once yeah. and train them. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm in I'm based in Denver, so I know all about. No, snow you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah the wintertime. It's it, it's really interesting. I think one of the things that a lot of us coaches we we would love to have our own indoor space. It doesn't need to be big, but like it's just the demand is insane. I don't think you could build enough indoor uh soccer spaces I, I i there's because 
you you not only have young players that want to do trainings and small trainings and individuals, but you also have adults that want to just play. Right. So it, yeah. it, it is the adults and the kids are competing for for time on a field indoors during the winter, and there just isn't enough. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's one of the things I've been doing is sort of just keeping my eye out. I'm looking I, I'll, when I'm driving around, I just look at buildings that are like, you know, for lease or for sale. And I'm like, I wonder what you could do with that space, you know, because I, I'm in the same spot. Yeah. And, and it's it's that's when you see how how much demand there is for coaching. Right. You're like, OK, I'm finding players. The word of mouth is working how can I upgrade this to where they come to a space that is already built and ready for them where it's kind of like when you were saying that you went to the, 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 the family's house to train in their basement. Uh, it reminded me of m- my girlfriend's a massage therapist. And so she has some clients where she goes to them. Right. Right. But her studio is really the best place for her. Right. Because yeah, that's where right. she really has, she really has the full, you know, it's kind of like we talked about the studio as the lab, as a place where you build your own energy, right. but then you've got to take your portable table and set it up at someone else's house. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, and that can be fun. But I think you, when you look at it from a coaching perspective and what you can do and what you could achieve, you're like, man, if I just had my own space, you know, a little bit of a turf, a little bit, of, a couple of, you know, some fields, not very big, we can still do some shooting, put some nets up so you don't destroy the walls. Right. And I think since COVID really kicked off, a lot of the videos I see by people who do their own trainings and stuff on Instagram, they've like redone a part of their house. Yes, I've seen that too. Like the garage, they put turf yep. on, on where the car will go per se, right in the garage or or um, or they will try to find little spots in the backyard. So I've seen some, for example, that, um, you know, they, they used to have like this backyard part of it that maybe might have been bricks. And then they put like a like a strip of turf on it because perhaps their player, their son, their daughter wanted to be part of it. So popularity wise, you know, the sport is picking up a lot. And like you mentioned, you're never going to run out of, of, of people interested in, in, in the sport. And I think nowadays more than ever, there's more interest in the sport than there has ever been here in the United States, right? It's becoming becoming... It's becoming a mainstream sport, as per se, consistently, right? It's very, it's, it's, nowadays you find players uh, as young as, you know, three, four, five years old, and they all want to be pro soccer players, and they all want to do this, compared to perhaps, say, years ago, right? Maybe 20 years ago, it wasn't as much. So I think, I think it's getting there. I think it's getting to a point where now people are starting to see the sport for what it is, so, uh, as a mainstream sport that is like the world's sport. Technically, is the world's sport. Everywhere is played. Everywhere in the world is the most um, common and successful sport everywhere in the world, except perhaps the U.S. But I think it's it's getting there. So yeah, as it continues to grow, hopefully there's more facilities and more buildings and everything, because I think there is a lot of stuff that we can do as coaches and and for the kids and everything if we if we had more resources to, to train them. At. Yeah, and. You know, I, I think this is where, like, like we were talking about earlier, the skills that you build by starting something like this, 
I imagine by looking for a, a good place, you're also going to learn a whole lot about real estate. So then you're going to be an expert that, yeah. in that, you know? I imagine. <laughs> oh, I learned about zoning. Okay, so I, I can turf this field. I'm allowed to have people park in this area. So then you, you learn all these other things. Right, um, exactly. There was, uh, in San Jose, there is a club that they leased out a Chinese restaurant that closed right at the beginning of COVID in early 2020, maybe March, it closed. And they took it over in June and in the parking lot, the, they were able, the parking lot's like a giant L. And so they put two mini pitches that, uh, you know, that have little walls around them and everything, but two five aside pitches in the parking lot. And they, they put their club headquarters in the restaurant. In the restaurant. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So like that's you know th- that's what they've got, and uh, they have a lot of free play hours for just kids in the community and everything. So I think there's so much, so many things people are doing all over the country yeah. that are inspiring good good things to look at as as good examples. And the other thing is equipment. I mean, so I, I went to the uh, United Soccer Coaches Convention in Kansas City um, mm-hmm. in January. And when you go through the exhibitor hall, you're like, holy cow, there are like a lot of people building small fields, uh, you know, portable equipment, you know, goals that you can bring around, um, turf that can be easily bought, shipped, and then and then set. Like right. all of this stuff is exploding. The whole market for it's exploding. So in a way, thanks to COVID, I mean, a lot of the DIY, DIY academies, like like TCS, you know, just getting from the ground up, it's so much more possible now. And the demand yes. has gone up. The demand from right. players and parents has gone up. So right. I think you did, I think you've done the great thing at exactly the right time. I think it's great. No, thank you. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it, it continues. I'm really excited, really happy. And what else can I ask for? I'm doing what I enjoy. I'm doing what I love. And I'm helping you know, players improve. Hoping it continues to pick up and, and, and hopefully we can talk down the road again and see like the progress that we made. Well, I did want to mention you said this is the this is the global game. You've got kids who you know are motivated who come to see you. Um, when it comes to the professional game, how how in tune do you feel a lot of these kids are with what's going on, you know, at the highest level? That's the part where sometimes you, you find a gap, right? Um, a lot of them want to be players, but they don't necessarily uh, keep up with, with what. When I grew up, it was always like watching these players and, you know, I play a lot on the streets. Um, so it was all about like, oh, I saw this player in a game or on TV doing something, I'm going to try. Yep. Uh, here sometimes I feel that uh, these, these current players, these youth players, some of them do not keep up as much as perhaps somebody that you would think wants to be a pro. But I also have found others that do. I also have found others that actually, you know, at the young age of 10, 11 years old, and they're watching their games. Um, and one thing that the U.S. has got really good going on for them is that on the women's side, they have very strong women's soccer team. Yeah, And that is allowing the young girls, the young soccer players, especially in the girls' side, to look up to these players, to look up to the, you know, Alex Morgan, 
to you know recently you know Carly Lloyd, Abby Wambach, mm-hmm. back then Mia Hamm, and so on. So I think that's creating the whole like, hey, those are players that I follow. Those are players that I watch. I want to be them one day. But in other countries, it's not as much. Like most of it is men's sport. So I think it's it's, it's growing. Like as I was saying, I think it's growing. I think the demand. The interest for the sport is growing, and I think it's just a matter of time before we continue to see more and more players, since you, you know, from younger age, wanted to just be a soccer player, right? You know, seeing that it's the sport that moves, it's a sport that you're consistently engaged, you're running compared to other sports without bashing them. But there's all the sports that you're just like sitting there for a while, or perhaps you continue, you know, it's, it's in a slower pace. Um, you know, our sport involves a lot of movement, fast, athleticism. And when you're a parent, you're probably looking at your kid and go, I want this kid to have fun, enjoy, burn some energy for sure. Yep. Um, what's the best way to do so? It's not going to be the, the, the one that we're spending maybe three hours in a game and then just getting some a little bit of activity, but maybe it's perhaps the one that they're running and moving and consistently engaged. So I, I think it's I think it's it's growing, and I think both in the boys and the girls, I see that they are following some of their pro players, not as much as I've seen in other countries, but at the same time, it is great that at least here, the, the, what I believe is that I haven't seen anywhere else is that the girls do follow a lot of their pro soccer player female athletes. Yeah, yeah, the, the, that is one major bonus on the girls' side. I think, I think it's interesting what you said about when you said that when you would see something on TV, you would go out and try it, right? right. And I was the same. I mean, I, I, if, I, if I saw, you know, uh, someone do something amazing, I wanted to try it either at practice or in my next game. And I grew up, I don't, I think I was the only kid that actually watched any, any high-level soccer on TV. I, I, right. I, the only one that maybe, you know, that had videos of like a greatest goals compilation from the 70s or something. I was the only kid that I played with who was really into it um and you know the kids i played with they were fine they were efficient they were athletes but there was never anything creative coming from them and i oh i will always remember the manchester united versus real madrid i believe it was i want to say 2000 or 2000 i want to say 2000 or 2001 um when the game was at Old Trafford, Real Madrid won 3-1. And if you look at the highlights, Fernando Redondo, the Argentinian, had the most filthy assist where he gets on the sideline and he pins the... I don't remember who the defender was. He just gets gets him on his back and does a back heel on one side of him, runs around the other, just stops the ball from going out of play and then sets up Raul, who's three yards from goal, and then you know, kisses the ring as, as uh, Raul always did. And, and I just, that goal, I was like that assist. I mean, he just undresses the defender on the sideline, just by (laughs) backheeling it around him. And so I was like, I am trying that this weekend. I am trying that this weekend. And I, I tried it and it almost worked. And so it was like, okay, this is cool. But there, I had a couple of teammates be like, yo, what was that all about? And I was like, you should have seen this. It's, this guy did it in, in, for Real Madrid. It set up a goal. Amazing. And I, I think from a coach's perspective, I can tell, especially with the boys, but also with the girls, but especially with the boys, which ones are watching 
and which right. ones are not. Because yeah, the ones yeah, that are watching are trying new things. Yeah, the ones that are not watching are just coming to practice, Showing doing up. the best they can. Hopefully they get better and learn something, but they're not inspired by something else and someone else. And you can tell, you can see the difference. And I think it's, I agree. yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So who are your favorite professional teams? What, um, who do you follow? Who do you really like? Uh, so I'm, I'm one to think that as I'm one to think that you have one team where you are a fan of and teams that you like. I am a fan of Atletico Nacional. That's the team that I grew up with. That's the team that I always went to watch, um, you know, the stadium and so on. So this is a team that regardless how well they're doing, you know, this, this, this is the team that you know, goes with me, uh, that I'm always supporting. Um, but international scene-wise, I like I like teams that show. I like teams that show dynamic play. I like teams that show uh, that they can play one-on-one to you. Meaning, you know, they don't they don't park the boss and then their formation is uh, ten-one. Uh, but rather, <laughs> but rather, you know, a team that like goes in and, and attacks and it goes for the game. Um, and then that, and I also like teams that are very are very team oriented so that you can see that it's not perhaps a let's give the ball to this guy and hopefully this guy solves our issues but rather like let's work it together so you see all these overlaps all these runs all these passing perhaps like you know barcelona back in 2009 2010 11 the tiki taka right that was yeah like when you see him how they manage the game so i like you know teams like that so uh currently i enjoy a lot of uh, liverpool I, i enjoy liverpool a lot currently Klopp, to me, is one of those coaches that we mentioned earlier in the, in the program. We, we, we mentioned how important uh, motivation is. And I think this guy is one of those guys that you can see the positivity from the guy, right? Like he's, you can see that the, the guy is enjoying the work that he's doing and, and the players can feel that and give that in return to him. And they recently, when they won the Carabao Cup, um, you know, he was like out there monkeying around with the fans and the players, enjoying himself. So... That's that's a team that you kind of see and you figure, man, they're having a good time. They're they're playing such a high level, but at the same time, they're doing it with heart. You can mm-hmm. tell that those players are committed to the team. So I enjoy Liverpool. Currently, was one of the teams that I enjoy uh, the most. Yeah, I, you know, one of the first things I think right when Klopp took over at Liverpool, I saw this video of him out on the training ground, and I don't remember which player it was. I think it was Adam Lallana gets a ball and they're doing just, they're doing some sort of simple passing thing in training and he passes a ball and he sort of misses whoever it was he was passing to by like a yard and a half. Like a, like it's not a very good pass. And you're thinking at the highest level, a professional who misses a six yard, seven yard pass by like two yards. Like that's, you know, that's where the coach might be like, Hey, like, you know, I demand more. Right. No, Jurgen Klopp, this video, he walks up to Adam Milana and he takes off his glasses and hands them to Adam Milana. Like, do you need glasses? Because yeah, right. So, and then there's a little bit of a laugh, and then he moves on. I mean, I I I just love that because I can only imagine what Antonio Conte would have done if he saw a you know, oh, five to seven yard pass go off. The guys, <laughs> I think Adam Milana at that point is running for his life, right? Yeah. Um, no, no, completely different, and I. 
and it goes down to that, like the feeling that you get, right? Like he was able to be like, hey, hey, you better watch those passes, but like in a joking, fun way. Yeah. The player knows he missed. The player knows he messed up. But there's no need to like, you know, nail him to the ground and be like, ah. I like that about Jorgen Klopp and, and currently what I see in Liverpool. Uh, Diaz recently, uh, Luis Diaz recently uh, joined him. Um, Colombiano. Colombiano. And, and you know, he's, I, keep, I keep an eye on him specifically, you know, watching the game recently um, against Chelsea. And you know, he, there's a lot of talk that, you know, when a player comes into like a new team or even more when it's a different, you know, country per se, there's, yep. these, there's this period of accommodation. There is this period where the player is still getting used to things and blah, blah, blah. To me, man, it seems like Luis Diaz has been in Liverpool, Liverpool for like a lifetime because the guy just joined the game and every game that he's been a part of, he's actually been a, 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 a difference maker, whether it's an assist, whether it's a goal, he already scored, or whether it's just his effort. Like I've seen this guy just hustling back and forth. So that to me, it's the impression that that's, these players want to do it from heart. These players want to work hard. They, they feel that, man, I lost the ball. Let me go get it back because you know, I, want, I want to help my teammates compared to uh, some broken um, uh, locker rooms, perhaps in other teams where you kind of see where players are you know, distant and, and barely interested in just kind of like playing just for playing. These guys, at least what I've seen for the past two years in Liverpool or so, it's a little hard, a lot of emotion, a lot of desire to accomplish their things. So I, I enjoy him watching. Well, and God, Lucho's the perfect guy for that, right? He came in. He's, his, he's a tiger, man, the way he plays. Yes. It was always going to work with Liverpool. I remember seeing him at Porto and and was and when Liverpool came and got him, I was like, this is going to work. And and knowing the way this is, I, I'm very impressed by the way a lot of Colombians, it doesn't matter which league or country, a lot of them do, they find a way to do really well. What I mean, Duvan Zapata and Lucas Muriel uh, at Atalanta have been uh, outstanding. They've been so good. And uh, Cuadrado, I mean, he's... Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, when I first saw Cuadrado, because I'm a Chelsea fan, so I remember he, he came to Chelsea uh, from Fiorentina. And um, he was, you know, a winger, but there was something about his game that you were like, okay, he's really talented and good, but how does he find a way to be impactful? Well, it turns out he's an amazing wing back, like sort of like a, yes. a, a, a right back that flies forward. Yes. 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 And I, I just would never have seen that what he's turned into at Juve. I didn't see him becoming that when he was at Chelsea. I didn't think that that's where he would go as a player. And it just shows how resourceful he is because he, I don't think that's what Juve bought him for in the first place. So the fact that he made sure I'm going to be, you know, this right back, um, this sort of wing back, and and make it work and and really be one of the best in the league at it. I, yeah, a lot of Colombian players do super well, depend regardless of the the environment they're in, and I think a lot of that has to do with heart. It is very much the motivation of the players. You can see it, um, and and yeah, I mean. Luis Diaz, the way the way he's playing at Liverpool already, you're like this Skilling. is this is excellent. Yeah, he's 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 been. Imp- I mean, it was awesome to, that game. By the way, the that Liverpool Chelsea game was 
the best nil nil I've seen in a long time. In a long time, I was going to say the same. It had to be one of the best games I've seen in a while. Uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. And as a Chelsea fan, when it ended, I was like, I mean, someone had to lose. You know, the game was so even. Um, both teams can either both teams can consider themselves unlucky and lucky, right? Like, and then the way it ends, the drama of uh, twenty-one straight penalties being scored, and then the goalkeeper missing. I mean, it's. You know, the funny part is some people said, oh, I haven't seen that ever. It's like you do know that the Europa League final back in May of, of uh, 2021, Manchester United versus Villarreal, the exact same thing happened. It was oh, yeah. every, everyone scored until David De Gea. It's true. But from my perspective, though, the way I saw these two teams compete against each other, Liverpool and Chelsea, it was a very back and forth game in terms of physicality. Like the whole, you know, 90 minutes, of course, high intense level. And then you add the other 30, and you will think that by now they're probably a little tired. They might just, no, man. Another 30 minutes of back and forth intensity, right? Goals being uh, denied left and right by, by offsides and by the bar and all that. It, to me, you know, as a, as a Somebody just watching it, I did enjoy this one a lot. And of course, he had that. I also like that it was like two teams from the same country that always had big rivalry between them, right? Chelsea and Liverpool is, is one of those like, who's going to best the other one? And, and Chelsea's been taking everything for the past year. They won everything that they competed on. And, they, you know, and they come to Liverpool that is, that is also a major, you know, top level team in the world. And, I was. I honestly enjoyed the game a lot, even if it was zero zero. I think that was part of the, the enjoyment. It was oh, just yeah. like you were saying, like at any given moment, it could go either way, right? And then you get you get a goal, and everybody's losing their minds, and then the ref goes like, mm -mm. and then he goes back, and he's like, no, no goal, and like ah, and it was it was really good. It was a, I enjoyed that game. Well, it was a pure spectacle in in the the football cathedral, right in Wembley, yes. you know. And I was just impressed that, you know, that when that the camera that's above the field on the, on right, the, right, right. On the cables, sometimes mm -hmm. it would get low and you could just see the field and then you could see just the just the ocean of people in, in the stands. And you're like, yeah. man, I, I, I am jealous of anyone who was at that game because uh, yeah, that I was agree. I was like, OK, that that one looks like what an environment, what an atmosphere. And then what a match. And I, I was, I, I said on my, my most recent episode talking about this, uh, talking about the final that, you know, this is the league cup, a tournament that most people say, ah, who cares? But who cares? I mean, come on. It was, it, like you said, the intensity in extra time, it was 30 minutes of super high intensity. I mean, you know, you don't get a football match like that if people don't care. And so I think, right. I think that was that was really key to just to be able to witness that and and you know you you feel like okay the game's going in the right direction because the quality is still super high and the intensity is just getting more so it just makes every game good to watch and and it's filtering down you know teams of lower levels are are playing with more quality and more intensity so yeah I amazing game and it was just an inspiring thing because the other thing is there's no other sport where you can have a zero zero that's that exciting it's not possible that is 
you know, it's you can't have a zero zero in American it, it, football. It keeps you in your seat for the whole time. It keeps yeah. you there on your seat like the whole time. Like something's gonna happen. Something has to happen. Yeah. And then you see you see Lukaku going for the for the for the goal and, oh, and then they're like they no 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 goal var yeah no and then well and know, offside and by an arm forward. it was his his arm was offside not exactly. his feet like so his, his hair yeah his yeah, hair. yeah. Hey, the guy is even bald and then but exactly but, but the one his eyebrows half inch of hair that he can shave that was the one offside. <laughs> yeah oh and then the one with Virgil van Dyke. I remember when that goal went in and I saw the first replay I was like this is a goal and then when they showed a second replay I was like oh there might be this is this is now a decision that they're gonna have to make yeah, I don't know. and then it gets and then I remembered three or four flares I could see three or four red flares in the where the Liverpool fans were after the goal went, and I kept, I was thinking to myself, are they going to try and put that thing out now that they realize the goal is canceled, <laughs> or are they just going to be like, well, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> glad I brought more than one, you know? That was probably the only one they had. Yeah, it's like ah, I wasted another <laughs> VAR goal. Yeah, I I, I, I I had to spare a thought for that fan that's just standing there like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> goals go, goals been ruled out and you're standing there with a flare and meanwhile chelsea are attacking down the other side contemplating like, about oh, life decisions yeah. it's like i gotta make sure i don't burn my hand here yeah but that that's what the game's all about and i think it was it was really fun to watch and i, I agree with you it's there's a team like liverpool in the Klopp era has been so inspiring for anyone involved in the game i know a lot of players who are really love Liverpool. They love Salah. They love Mane. They love Firmino. Um, I've got a player who loves James Milner, which is amazing, mm. you know? Um, and uh, and what Klopp has done to sort of create this, just this love for the way the game is played, uh, it's inspiring for us coaches as well, right? I mean, I've always I've always looked at Klopp and been like, okay, how does he really communicate with players? What's, what's the things he does? And, you know, he's, he's one of those people who is a master of, like you said, motivation and just touching people, right? Like getting into their hearts and, and getting into their minds in a, in a positive way. And yeah, it's, it's inspiring from, for me as a coach, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. You know, you included, right? Yes, I agree. I agree. And he did the same um, in Germany. Like he was, you know, it's not, it's not like he's, he's changed per se. Like the way I saw his team back in Germany, Borussia Dortmund, it was the same. Like it was, it was the same feeling. Like it was an aggressive team. It was a team that people enjoyed to watch. And the guy was always like, you feel that you can connect with the guy easily, right? He's not one of those managers that is out there. Um, like, oh, you made a mistake, you're banned for life. Or like, you know, I'm going to sell you in the next market window. Anyway. No, he's, he seems like a guy that he enjoys the game. He, he seems to, to want his players to enjoy the game and mistakes are, are made here and there, but he seems like he has his players' backs and the players have his back. That to me is huge because a lot of professional players, they have really big egos, especially at the, those elite levels. And then for them to be able to... to Take the game as in, like, hey, let me let me work these really hard so that I can also have your back. That speaks a lot. 
how much is able to impact the profession. Well, and I, I think it comes from values, having very, knowing your values as a coach, knowing your values as a person, because look, he and Guardiola, from my perspective, are the only two coaches in the world who have managed to stay really themselves and keep it really all about what happens on the field. And they haven't really changed that, you know, they've evolved as coaches. Yes, but they haven't changed Mm -hmm. and they haven't sort of, and they haven't fallen off. I mean, Mourinho at one point, it looked like anything he touched, he would win. Right. But Antonio Conte, same thing, but you start to feel like, well, your style, it has an expiration date, you know, Klopp and Guardiola, it doesn't look like it's like, as long as they're hungry, they will make a difference with any team they coach. Because like you said, Klopp's, Klopp did this before, not just at Dortmund, but also at Mainz. So his entire coaching career, he's been inspiring people, players, teams, and to, to be, and fans to this high-intensity, high-passion football. And he still hasn't lost that desire and that he still hasn't lost who he is in that, which I think is really impressive. Like Guardiola, I mean, the way he sets, the way Man City play, I sorry, there's no other coach on the planet I've ever seen form a team that can do that. And people talk about the money, but I've seen plenty of clubs spend a lot of money. I've never seen a team play the way they play. And, and the Barcelona 08, 09, 2010, whatever, that team it played a different style than this Man City team. Slightly different, right? It was a lot of passes, but there's not Xavi and Iniesta. There's Kevin De Bruyne and Rodri, which is totally different right. players. But the the way that they can play, and it doesn't matter who they play, they are the better team on the field. It's just a question of do they score more goals or not. You know? I agree. I, I find that to be incredible that with all this time, Guardiola just keeps producing these teams that are phenomenal and Klopp as well. It's it, that really is amazing. And I think that from what I've read books, they've books, they've had and everything it's, it really comes down to values, right? The core values they have as people and then as coaches. I, I think so. I think so. That's why you see success from one club to the other, regardless of country, regardless you know, each country, generally speaking, has their own way of playing, right? So um, it's completely different to see a German team playing than a Spanish team, than an English team, and so on. But I agree. These, these coaches are bringing their ideas, their, their core values with them, and instill them in their new club. And, and I, think, I think that's why they've been so successful. And that's why they're keeping up top of things. That's why they keep relevant. Per se, because yeah. as you said, there's a lot of coaches that go back and forth. But even with the money, even if they spend on players, and not always the case, it doesn't always work out that way. For example, one of the things that comes to mind is um, when you look back at uh, you know Barcelona post um, Pep Guardiola, for example, you know they had Tata Martino for a while, um, and to me, you know, the team carry him. In a way, I agree. Uh, it seemed like it was like the same Pep Guardiola work that was being played on the field, but now Tata was the was the with the manager, and you know I didn't feel that there was much difference. If anything, I think the team got a little slower. 
that you know now everybody knew how to perhaps maybe improve defending against the tiki taka and all these and all that but these guys are pioneers wherever they go they go and here's what i bring to work and here's what i'm going to make happen but there's a lot of coaches that are just there to like let's see what we can make happen but these guys club um guardiola just to name a few i think they're they're the ones that come in with a great idea and they also are very careful on which club they select to train and, and manage because not every club has the same monetary uh, possibilities uh, but at the same time they don't have the, the culture right like you cannot go to a club that doesn't like to spend money or that doesn't like to play out of the back or that doesn't you know enjoy um, you know this style of play or this other style of play some clubs just are not made for that. So I'm, I'm sure just like Sidan, they're very careful of who they coach because yeah. it's also part yeah. of like their success. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. And I mean, like, for instance, for Klopp, it's like the way he was with the Dortmund fans, it was a no brainer that it was going to work with the Liverpool fans. You know, it just, exactly. it, it exactly. was always going to fit. And Guardiola is this guy who came into city and it's like, okay, it's been money throwing around all over the place. It's, maybe a title because you've got so many good players, but we need an identity as a club that is new, rich, you know, new money. How do we create a real identity? Because down the road, there's Manchester United, the most famous storied winningest club in English history. It's like, how do you really compete with that? Well, he's bringing a culture of football uh, that is going to last at Man City. It's going to matter. It's going to, it's going to make an impact for years to come. For sure. I agree. Yeah. Um, and, you, and it makes you wonder. Imagine there was talks back then, if you recall, maybe recall the time frame, but about about a year and a half ago, um, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, came back into Manchester United. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was talks back then that he was supposed to almost join Manchester City, and that apparently, um, you know, a lot of talks with previous teammates and so on changed his mind. Uh, I read somewhere that. Rio Ferdinand being uh, one of his teammates back in, in, in Manchester United back in the earlier days. Um, apparently the guy was like, listen, man, how are you going to do this to the fans of Manchester United? How are you going to go to Manchester City and play for them? And apparently based on that call, that is what changed. Well, Sir Alex as well. Mind. I think Sir Alex right, yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So so when you when you think, you picture that, it's like, it could also have been interesting. I would have, I would have liked to see that as well, that how, how many great things Pep Guardiola has been doing with Manchester City. Imagine if you add into the mix, like bringing a name like Cristiano Ronaldo. Would that work? Would that be good? Would that have been a good um, experiment? Would Cristiano Ronaldo be able to work under Pep Guardiola's tactical uh, work? Or would he actually be a disaster? Would it have been like a, uh, you know, he's it never, we'll never know. But I guess what I'm saying is, it's just very interesting how some managers are very, you know, they do their way and they have success where they go because what we're talking about, their core values they bring with them. Um, and, and also there's some players like that. Like to me, Cristiano Ronaldo, wherever he goes, he's successful despite the many times, you know, like currently at Manchester United, he's, you know, they're a little bit of, they're stuck. They're not, you know, champions here and champions there and doing this and doing that. But it doesn't take anything away from the guy because the guy, every time he steps on the pitch, he makes a difference for the team in a positive manner most of the time. So it's, it's, it will be nice to see like some of these little things um, 
work sometimes and get like, I still hope one day we get to see a Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo on the same team somehow, some way. Be nice to see whether the experiment will work out. I don't know, but it will be nice to know that they're kind of like stepping on the same field and I don't know, it'll be interesting. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Well, I, I think Cristiano Ronaldo to Man City as a what if, that is, I mean, I would love to see that parallel universe where that happened because that would have been amazing. It would have been, yeah, it would have been really interesting. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. How, how the ego works with, with Guardiola, but also how the setup of the team is and everything. I, it, it would have been the ultimate what if for this season. I think that has to be one of the ones to keep in mind. So, well, look, let's, let's go ahead and wrap this up for now, but, um, Juan Pablo, talk, go ahead and talk about TCS and sort of how people can find you and, and sort of what you, what your plan is for it over the next few months. And, and yeah. All right. Um, make sure that if you're interested, um, you know, we're based in, um, the Northern suburbs of Chicago. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, make sure to check us. Uh, TCS Training Academy that's on Instagram TCS Training Academy um, we currently do not have a website per se but I am managing the TCS account so any any you know messages um, that, that come through the, the Instagram page come through uh, to me so I get it myself personally so uh, for the plans you know we're hoping the idea is to do a academies throughout the year uh, that involve smaller groups every time that we're training. So as I mentioned, this past training academy ended last week and we're going to do another five weeks coming up starting next week. Um, the trainings, most of the times during the winter time are indoor, uh, but as we start to get better weather pretty soon, you know, somewhere in mid-April, close to May, uh, we're going to be moving outdoors and train outdoors. And so on. So if you're if you're listening to this, if you're if you're watching uh, you know the podcast or, or if you're listening to these words, and if you're interested, if you're a soccer player, a young soccer player from you know any age or any level, and are interested in improving your skills, your speed, your strength, um, give us you know give us give us a try. Especially if you're in the Chicagoland area, um, give us a try. We got a we got a really good curriculum based on on player based on. I mean, improving the player and the idea is to continue to do as many of these sessions as we possibly can throughout the year because we want to uh, create athletes for long term not just few sessions and goodbye and good luck but more of a let's continue with this so that with more consistent consistency there is more development and more success that's why it's train conquer and success i love it and if you are not in the chicago area i definitely just recommend following tcs on instagram and looking at the videos because it's plenty of inspiration for things to do on your own or if you're a coach there's you you know you've got some really really good things that look we're all we're all thieves coaches we all steal each other's stuff and, exactly. and if it's and if it's good and the more people take it then that's a great compliment and i I, I love what i saw on 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 your page and so i recommend anyone to, to absolutely take a look at it and um you know get inspired right that's that's Thank that's you what you're 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 inspiring people so i'm i'm really stoked um well Thank you, hermano. Um, un placer, as they say in Colombia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. 
Well, and it's great to be resources, good to have connections and build a community of people. That's like, that's, it's, it's makes a big difference. It goes a long way. So Juan Pablo, thank you so much. And um, yeah, good luck for the, for the next few weeks. And we'll, we have to just keep in touch and definitely send me a photo of your setup. I definitely want to see You know what, let's do these. Let's, let's, let's take, let me try to take a selfie with you in the background right there. All right. And see if it works out. 